Disagreeing with popular opinion used to result in a healthy debate. Now it results in harassment, humiliation, and removal from public life. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines the dangers of cancel culture that's so prevalent in our world. Is it just a temporary trend or a signal that the end times have begun? Here's David to introduce today's message, A Political Prophecy, Cancel Culture. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're in a series we've called, Where Do We Go From Here? How Tomorrow's Prophecies Foreshadow Today's Problems. You know, uh, friends, this cancel culture thing is real. I was speaking on the campus of a university just a few days ago, and a young lady came up to me. She was in tears. I had mentioned cancel culture in the message. And she told me the story of her father, who was a very uh, respected uh, surgeon, and his wife, her mother, put something on the Internet about her faith in Jesus Christ, a positive um, message, not in any way negative or, or uh, critical. But somebody in the hospital didn't like her faith, didn't like her message. And in the process, her husband, this young girl's father, got canceled. He lost his job. And she began to cry. And then her sister joined her. And they told me the story of this situation where because of a very uh, benign statement on the Internet by this doctor's wife, he lost his job. Thank God he's returned to practice now in a different place. What I just described to you is going on all over the country, all over the world. The um, totalitarianism of socialism allows for no dissent. There can only be one opinion. It's the old, it's my way or the highway business. And it's rapidly taking over in our world to the point where people are just afraid to say anything or do anything that could get them canceled. Well, does the Bible have anything to say about that? We're going to talk about that today and tomorrow as we continue our discussion of the series, Where Do We Go From Here? And we'll be looking together at a passage in Matthew chapter 24. I hope you'll go there and join us as we start in just a moment. I do want to remind you, you can get this whole series in written form. It's the book, Where Do We Go From Here? The fastest selling book we've ever had at Turning Point. But we have copies for you here. If you'd like to have a copy of this book, what you need to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point. Do it today. Ask for your copy of this book, and it'll be on its way to you before you know it. We're so grateful for your partnership. We're thankful for your being there in the audience today. And we pray that the teaching we're sharing during this month will strengthen your commitment to Jesus Christ and your resolve to live for him no matter what's going on around you. Here's part one of Cancel Culture. Except for 1968 and its riots and assassinations, I cannot remember a more challenging year in my lifetime for America than 2020. Between the pandemic, the flaring of racial tensions after the death of George Floyd, floundering economy, skyrocketing murder rates, the impeachment of Donald Trump, people had a lot to argue about and argue they did. Of course, the U.S. presidential elections added fuel to those fires. In the midst of that tension and animosity, Pastor Chris Hodges of Birmingham, Alabama, logged onto his Instagram account one day and clicked like on a small number of posts from a conservative author and speaker. Can you imagine something so innocuous causing trouble? Well, it did. 
A high school English teacher living in Birmingham saw what Pastor Hodges had done and felt uncomfortable. She created a Facebook post to address that discomfort, including an image of Hodges' name next to the notorious likes. She later ironically told reporters, I would be upset if it comes off as me judging him. I'm not saying he's a racist. I'm saying he likes someone who posts things that do not seem culturally sensitive to me. In less than two weeks, the Birmingham Housing Authority voted to cut ties with Pastor Hodges and the Church of the Highlands, no longer allowing the church to rent space for one of its campuses. The Housing Authority also cut ties with Christ Health Center, a separate ministry founded by the Church of the Highlands to provide free health services for residents of public housing. Now stop and think about that. A local government shuts down a free clinic for the poor in the middle of a public health crisis. In their words, Pastor Hodges' views do not reflect those of the health board and its residents. That wasn't the end. The Birmingham Board of Education also voted to cut ties with the Church of the Highlands after the so-called scandal. (laughs) For several years, the church had rented two high school auditoriums to serve as additional campuses on Sunday mornings, paying more than $800,000 for that privilege. No more. The leases were terminated immediately. Ed Stetzer, who often writes for the Southern Baptist Convention, was quick to point out the sad irony of these decisions. Given all the ways Hodges and his church have contributed to the Birmingham community and beyond, he wrote, Chris Hodges has led his church to be the largest diverse church in Alabama, to engage the poor and the marginalized, to minister widely and well in his community. He and the church he leads has served the poor, engaged the sick, volunteered in the schools, and more. During the pandemic, Church of the Highlands has served thousands of meals, made masks, hosted blood drives, helped other churches with online services. He also likes some social media posts. Get the pitchforks? The long and short of it was that Pastor Hodges had been canceled because he liked a few posts from a popular conservative pundit. Now, let me not stop the story there. I do not know Chris Hodges personally, but I know a lot about him. I have incredible respect for him and his leadership and his church, and I promise you he'll be back, and this won't take him down. Nobody gets to where he was by letting something like this get in their way. So just give him time, and he'll be back with greater effectiveness and doing all the things he was doing before, but a lot more. The word cancel once described what we did to magazine or newspaper subscriptions. We canceled them. Or what happened to a faltering television program. We canceled it. Now it's what people do to people. In our society, canceling someone is a punishment for doing something, saying something, even thinking something that violates a set of unwritten rules currently in play throughout much of the liberal world. These punishments are typically carried out in three stages. First of all, there's an attempt to publicly humiliate the person by flagrantly exposing the supposed wrong he or she committed. And then once the person has been exposed, he or she is pushed mercilessly to confess and apologize. 
Whether that person has actually done anything that requires regret is irrelevant. Simply to be accused means a retraction and an apology is expected. And thirdly, regardless of whether the accused apologizes or not, attempts are made to remove that person from public life and from all public conversation once and for all. As a result, people are fired, mocked, threatened, deplatformed, and delegitimized in every way. Professor Evan Gersman says there is no single accepted definition of cancel culture, but at its worst, it's about unaccountable groups successfully applying pressure to punish someone for perceived wrong opinions. The victim ends up losing their job or is significantly harmed in some way well beyond the discomfort of merely being disagreed with. So what does it take for a person to be canceled? We'd like to know because most of us would rather not have that experience. But no one knows what it takes to be canceled, at least not specifically. And as I said, the boundaries that govern this new way of life, what many are calling cancel culture, are very unclear. The rules are unwritten, and it reminds me of a car driven by an inebriated person swerving from lane to lane. Best stay out of the way if possible. One of the more frightening aspects of cancel culture is that its tendrils extend to regular members of society, to people like you and me. For example, Marie Purdy is an artist who was accused of plagiarism when a piece she designed went public. The accusations were not true, but that didn't matter to the hundreds of people who posted hateful comments on their Instagram and found other ways to harass her. She even attempted to apologize for a possible misunderstanding, but in her words, the apology was torn to shreds. And then she wrote this, I have survived five miscarriages and breast cancer, and this was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. In this culture, if it sounds unreasonable to you, even unbiblical, you're absolutely right. Jesus was asked to identify the most important commandment in the Bible, and he replied with a two-for-one special. Do you remember that? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I can think of few things less loving than publicly excoriating random people, even trying to get them fired or shamed or silenced, all for the sin of daring to disagree with you. Yet that's what cancel culture demands. It bears noticing that Jesus spent a lot of time with people in his day who had been canceled, so to speak. Remember the woman at the well? Women were considered second-class citizens in the ancient world, and Samaritans were scorned. Furthermore, this Samaritan woman lived in a state of sexual immorality. Even her own people shunned her, which is why she came alone to draw water from the community well at the heart of the day. Yet Jesus approached her. He spoke kindly to her. He even offered her the water of life, saying, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus touched lepers who were untouchable according to the law. He welcomed sinners who were despised. He blessed children when others were trying to push them away because they were a nuisance. 
He expressed compassion for a woman taken in adultery. He accepted the worship of a woman who was criticized because she poured perfume all over his feet. He touched the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. He cast demons out of people who were violent. And during his final hours, he comforted a murderer who was nailed to a cross next to him. And after his resurrection, he reassured a doubting disciple and reestablished the disciple who had denied him. Jesus had no place in his heart for the cancel culture. He was wonderful at demonstrating God's love and grace to everyone. And ladies and gentlemen, he still is. So what does this mean? It would be nice to think cancel culture is a temporary phase our world is going through. I hear people say that, oh, we'll get through this. But society is becoming more intolerant and polarized by the day. And I'm not so sure we'll see a reversal of all of these trends. The more insidious elements of cancel culture are a malignant form of spitefulness common to all human nature. What we're seeing today reminds me of what Jesus described in Matthew 24. Here is the prophecy which is foreshadowing what's happening today. This was our Lord's sermon about the last days and the great tribulation. Leading up to this great tribulation, Jesus predicted a series of signs that would foreshadow the end of the world. In Matthew, he spoke of wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and pestilences. This is what usually we read right over, but don't read over it. Here's what he said. These are the beginning of sorrows, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Read that again because there are several terms in these verses that represent the ethos of cancel culture. First of all, it's a culture of disdain. Jesus talked about how easily people would be offended in the days leading up to the tribulation. Boy, is that ever true. Recently, NFL star Aaron Rodgers got attention when he appeared in a black t-shirt bearing the words, I'm offended. (laughs) The sports world wondered, if it meant something or if it meant nothing. But I know a lot of people that walk around with that on their soul. How easy it is for people to get offended. You don't have to do much to offend some people. Lots of people seem to be going around with I'm an offended attitude if they don't have it on their shirt. I mean, how many groups or products have had to change their names, their symbols, their mascots out of fear they might cause offense? None of us want to be offensive, but doesn't it seem like people everywhere are too easily offended? How long before someone sees you reading a Bible on an airplane and feels uncomfortable? When will someone take offense when you wear a t-shirt with the slogan John 3.16 on it? What about the cross around your neck? They might come for that. Jesus linked being easily offended with hating one another and betraying one another. The Greek word that is translated betray is important. It doesn't mean betrayal like saying negative things about co-workers so that you can get promoted. And it doesn't mean betrayal in terms of deceiving others or turning on someone who used to be your friend and stabbing them in the back. No, instead, the text is talking about betrayal in the sense of intentionally revealing or exposing something 
That is hidden. It's the same idea as betraying a secret or people betraying the Jewish identities of their neighbors to the secret police in the run-up to the Second World War. In other words, Jesus said society leading up to the end times would be marked by people who actively root up, expose, and betray those around them. Wouldn't you say that kind of betrayal is commonplace in our world today? It is. Wouldn't you say that kind of betrayal makes up an essential part of cancel culture? It does. In many ways, cancel culture is dependent on betrayal. We all have mistakes from our past we'd like to forget. Can I get a witness? All of us have made choices we regret and decisions we would correct if we could get a redo. But in a world fueled by cancel culture, those mistakes are not allowed to remain in the past. People intentionally dig through the histories and biographies and social media posts of others, even those they consider to be friends, in order to drag those mistakes into the present. Back in 2010, Diana Gerber's daughter attended journey school in California. Students and staff there were attempting to confront a major cyberbullying incident, which was the first in that school. Everyone did their best to understand the situation and figure out a way to respond, but there was much uncertainty. This was totally new ground. Diana had just finished her master's degree in a new field called media psychology and social change. She had academic experience helping people adjust to the new world of the internet and social media, and she was eager to put that experience into practice. Together with Journey School, Diana created a new course called Cyber Civics, and the goal was to teach middle schoolers what she calls digital citizenship, a way to help them make sense of the challenges posed by a digital world, to gain a better understanding of ethics and morality, to think critically instead of superficially, and to build their digital reputation, their privacy, reject all forms of cyberbullying, shaming, and intimidation. You see, today, cancel culture is defined by disdain, a culture of disdain. In his great sermon on the end times, Jesus warned of the rise of many false prophets who would deceive multitudes. That's never been easier than today. Today, we are living in a culture not only of disdain, but of deception. And most of the people who are at risk in this day of deception are senior citizens, senior people. I was shocked to find out that in 2020, senior citizens lost over a billion dollars in cyber scams. A total of 105,301 people over the age of 65 were taken to the cleaners. The average person lost more than $9,000. Almost 2,000 senior citizens lost more than $100,000. Fake news, fake people, fake products, fake friends. All of this has come to us via the world of big tech. And all of this is contributing to a growing culture of deception. And then, finally, it's a culture of disconnection. The next logical step in cancel culture is disconnection. In a culture marked by disdain and deception, people want to withdraw from society. They don't always get pushed out of society, but when you find out people are after you and they're trying to hurt you, what do you do? You go into the castle and you shut it down and don't let anybody near you. You don't talk to anybody. You don't 
send any messages to anybody. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew 24, 12, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, relationships will go south. Apologist Abdul Murray had this to say about the relationally frightening nature of today's society. In cancel culture, a single mistake is perpetually unforgivable because it's not simply a guilty act. Rather, the mistake is led to define the individual's identity, turning them into a shameful person, someone who can be canceled. The culture that leads up to the tribulation and the end of history will be characterized by coldness in our feelings for one another and in our dealings with one another. Shockingly, a recent study revealed that nearly half of Americans have not made a new friend in the last five years. As hatred and deception have increased, love in our world has decreased, and our relationships have grown cold. Once again, a little parenthesis. During this day and this time when I have been studying all these issues, one of the things I have been overwhelmingly impressed with is the absolute necessity of small groups. In almost all the literature that I have read, people are saying, even non-religious people, that small groups are going to be the way in which cultures like ours survive the onslaught of all of this socialism and stuff that's coming at us. Small groups are not just for you to have affinity with others, to be friendly with others, to have fellowship with others, even to study the Bible. But small groups will be the whole defense against what is happening. I mean, there could be a time when they say, we can't meet in our church anymore, but they can't keep us from meeting in our homes. There's too many of us, and there's too many homes. And there's a way in which what is happening now with this friendless society is Christians need to run right into the face of that and say, not us. We're in a small group with eight other couples and we know a bunch of people and we pray for one another and we serve one another and we rejoice with one another and we mourn with one another. We have friends. We're a part of the body of Christ. We come to church, but we have small groups. And if you're not in a small group, I guess you probably get the idea I think you should be. What we need is to be in a really strong, small group. Well, coming to the end of this talk, let me ask this important question. Where do we go from here? Now that we understand more about cancel culture and the dangers that it poses, where do we go from here? What does it take to live in a world like the world we live in? Well, I'll tell you, it takes a lot. What does it take to create a different kind of culture in your home, at work, at church? The short answer is it's not easy to live as members of God's kingdom in a world that is increasingly hostile to the values of that kingdom. This is the shared experience of every generation of Christians since the very first one. So we've had 2,000 years to prepare for these days. One thing we know for sure, following Jesus is worth it. And it certainly is. We need to be warriors, we need to stand up and be counted, but we know that the reward is greater than anything we'll ever be asked to do, and therefore our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing. Well, today we talked about cancel culture. We'll finish that up tomorrow. Um, we have some other prophetic messages ahead of us, and this whole series is from the book, Where Do We Go From Here? 
and really like you to have a copy of that, you can get it at your local bookseller. Wherever good books are sold, you'll find it. Or you can get it from us. And when you get it from us, you can help us. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of October and ask for it. We'll send this book to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in the ministry of Turning Point. We also want to remind you that at the end of this year, we're going to take a little journey, which we do as often as we can. Couldn't do it the last years because of COVID, but now we're back in business. And our tour this year is going to be to the Caribbean. We'll leave here uh, just before New Year's and come back after the first of the year. And we'll have this incredible time of reflection and preparation aboard uh, the beautiful Holland American ship with all of our musicians and players and uh, just great fellowship and teaching from the Word of God. You can find out more about that at davidjeremiah.org. Please come and join us. I know you'll have a great time. We'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Where Do We Go From Here? Please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Where Do We Go From Here? And learn how today's issues are linked to biblical prophecy. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with helpful notes and articles from decades of study by Dr. Jeremiah. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Where Do We Go From Here? on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's new book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. King Solomon wrote, Of the making of many books there is no end. I wonder what he would think about the number of books we have today and can have in a matter of minutes by downloading them as ebooks. As one who reads many books every year, I sometimes feel overwhelmed at trying to keep up. 
That's where I find the words of the naturalist philosopher Henry David Thoreau very helpful. He wrote, read the best books first, or you may not have a chance to read them at all. That's why I purpose to begin each day reading God's book, the Bible, before reading any other. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's book on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.